You're listening to the Player Layer podcast, and today's conversation is with Ben Downton, whom we spoke with uh, during his Kickstarter, Micro Dojo. Uh, ben runs Prometheus Game Labs, and they successfully funded um, last month with almost 2,000 backers and 16,000 pounds raised for a micro game that costs only uh, five pounds. I can highly recommend the game. It's a two-player micro game with an included solo mode, and I just was fascinated by um, the game and with Ben's journey. So uh, hopefully this conversation will uh, inspire you and uh, you will learn more about making a micro game and about uh, running your first Kickstarter, doing the um, research and what to look for. I just think Ben did such a fantastic job that just I, I think you're gonna enjoy this so yeah thank you so much for listening and enjoy this episode i'm with ben downton today who's the creator of micro dojo a really uh, Actually, could you pitch it for me, Ben? Uh, tell me what the game's about. Yeah, so um, it's a micro game. So it's designed for like really low-cost shipping, and it, it fits in your pocket. It's a, a single punch board that has everything you need on it. Uh, it's, I would say, kind of a worker placement game, uh, but you have shared workers. So the, the core of it is you're moving one of the four workers uh, on this three-by-three three grid, so nine spaces. Um, and there's a lot of kind of tactical movement to it where you're you're blocking your opponent or you're trying to predict your next move or, or their next move and what's going to be available. Um, for the, the theme, you're, you're two daimyo uh, in Edo period Japan. Uh, you're trying to win favor with the shogun by bringing prosperity to this, this small town. So by using the town's retainers, you're going to move around the board, gather resources, uh, build buildings, and then score objectives. And uh, hopefully you'll be the, the favored daimyo. <laughs> It's it's a really awesome game. I actually really loved it from uh, the, the first time I play tested it, which was like in very <laughs> early development as well last year. So could you tell me what the process was like for you? Just uh, I, I think this is your first game, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's certainly the first one I've published. It's probably the I would say the second one that I've developed to a, to a decent extent. Um, when I started out in game design, I just had one game idea. Uh, it was actually to make a video game, and then I realized that was going to be super hard, <laughs> and uh, my brother suggested try making it a board game. So I spent kind of a couple of months on that, uh, but then when it was clear that wasn't really going in the direction I wanted it to, uh, it led me towards sort of other ideas, and of course, you know, it's hard to just <laughs> make one game. Um, and Micro Dojo was great as a, a first game because it's it's fairly small, so it was easier to sort of test and, and play test and produce. Uh, it also fit really well with running a, a first Kickstarter campaign because being small and being very cheap and being very cheap to ship internationally, it means I could reach a nice a big audience for future games. Uh, but also kind of starting small means that, you know, if, if there's things that I hadn't considered or I had made mistakes or there's, you know, there's as every creator will sort of make some mistakes during the campaign, it's not going to be uh, either financially crippling because it's such a, a small product you know even if we need to do a full reprint it's it's not going to be the end of the world and similarly by starting small i'm not spending five years on this epic uh you know minis legacy game that then might not turn out to be any good or there might not be a market for it so uh yeah it was just perfect to start out with it 
Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like that's like a really wise choice that, uh, <laughs> that I, don't, I don't know if a lot of people um, go down that route. I know I know you can go out go with like very ambitious projects and stuff, but I think you've done like a, a genius job of, uh, of getting a, a, a good game that's really uh, like budget friendly because a lot of people on Kickstarter, I know they're just going to see that price and be like, you know, it's it's the price of not, not even the price of a meal, you know. It's, so you, you really yeah. went like the really minimalist route, and um, yeah, I, I I think it's doing really well, and you're you're kind of proving your own point because at the moment it's at over like a thousand um, backers. It's, it's uh, looks to be doing really well on the sides. Yeah, it's it's doing really amazingly. I, would, I don't want to say a lot better than I hoped because it sounds like I didn't think it was going to do well, but yeah, you really didn't know what to expect from the Kickstarter campaign and. You know, you hear good things, you know, reviewers like it and people say, oh, you know, I've played it and I really like it. You know, I get messages from people saying, oh, they wanted to be the first backer and, and it's really exciting. But also the, the most vocal people, like, let's say there's 20 people that are like super excited about the game. It could have been just me and those 20 people. So you never really know sort of how, how much reach it has and how many people have kind of seen it and just sort of quietly watching on the sidelines. So yeah, it was really great that it had, had such a great start um i was hoping because it's a fairly low funding goal because it's pretty cheap to produce i thought okay it's enough to do the first print run and i, I kind of hoped from the people that had supporting so far and the, the mailing list i'd built up and things I, I expected okay maybe we'll reach that funding goal on the first day and then from there that'll build some momentum and then i click launch and then 13 minutes later it had funded and i, I think i'd been pretty prepared throughout the whole campaign like i prepared for the game to be complete at launch which meant instead of post campaign having to look at okay now how do i freight it over now how do i manufacture it i got everything in place so i knew 100 percent that i could definitely sort of fulfill that promise and it would all fit and work so i'd done a lot of that work up front but then when it came to the campaign i did feel unprepared because i know you're meant to sort of prepare some of your standard messages in advance, like, hey, we're 50% funded. Oh, you know, we're nearly there. That all went by in 13 minutes. And so I just <laughs> stared at the computer screen. I was like, oh, what do I do now? <laughs> I was not prepared for that. So that was a nice feeling. But uh, yeah, really blown away by that. Yeah, no, but it's 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 uh, it's just it's just so cool. It's it, Also, the, the idea of having a game where you don't actually need to think about logistics so much, or I'm sure you, you do, uh, but you don't just... Uh, not having a parcel but being able to send the game in an envelope must really um, make it easier or lower costs right yeah so I kind of set out to have that punch board fit into a C5 envelope which is the, the largest envelope that can be sent from, from the UK with Royal Mail as a letter so that was like the cheapest shipping option and then uh, there was quite a lot, lot of logistics in the sense of um, measuring, you know, the components to make sure they were the right thickness and, and weighing them on digital scales and getting the digital calipers out for the sizing. Um, then you've got the limitations of sort of the layout of the punch board because there's sort of certain distance you need between die lines and then there's bleed and things like that. So actually I ended up probably doing about maybe 10 or 12 different layouts of the punch board to, to get the maximum sort of, uh, um, amount of pieces on there and, and make them all fit. So there was a lot on, on that side but yeah having it sort of go into a letter um one of the other things i've done with the campaign is i've not had lots of i say not lots not not really any stretch goals and things so being 
complete at launch and not having stretch goals means there's not going to be sort of complicated things that might delay or disrupt shipping and things like that. It's literally you you pick if you want one copy of Micro Dojo or if you want two or more um, because two of them bumps up the shipping category to a large letter. But then after that, you can stuff probably like 10 copies in there and it doesn't change the shipping price. So kind of there's your options. You know, you, you either get one copy or you get more copies um, and that's it. Uh, so it also minimizes the chance because I'm going to be doing all the fulfillment myself because uh, it's because it's such a budget game. Having a fulfillment partner isn't really cost effective. Uh, it minimizes any mistakes that I might make as well. You know, shipping out, I think I'm up to about 1,500 copies because people have bought multiple now. Um, trying to then add, let's say there's like a, you know, we've got different countries, potentially then different shipping options. Then if we start adding like different add-ons and things, the the level of complexity just kind of goes sky high. So being able to just ship sort of that number of copies and, and send them out keeps things nice and simple and, and hopefully get it out to people nice and quick as well. Yeah, yeah. No, everything about the project seems to be like n- nice and simple. <laughs> you know, like uh, no, it's, yeah, keeping it easy the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's like everyone says to do it, but it's so cool when you actually see somebody doing it and also seeing. You know the, the success that you're having. I remember there, there was a Kickstarter project a, a while, a little while ago, um, Scarlet Envelope, which was I actually got to talk to the creators uh, of it as well, and they, they did a similar thing where um, they had just basically puzzles or, or like mysteries in, in envelopes, which they sent out, and um, it was again they, they did really well. I think just that price point at you know how when people start out in the hobby, sometimes they tend to buy everything that's cheap or like they just want to get a game collection so i, I think that that might mm. factor into it at least a little bit what was the um marketing that you did for it uh again because it's a fairly budget game uh there wasn't a lot of advertising and, and money gone into marketing um and i didn't have a, a marketing partner either so I learned a lot from um, Nalin's group, the, the board game marketing um, Facebook group. That's been super helpful. Um, a lot of what I was doing was kind of what you'd call organic marketing. So really just sharing things as they developed, um, asking people's advice, getting people involved um, in sort of various Facebook groups. Um, a lot really on the design forms and things. And that, that was actually something that I considered is there's a lot of excitement and support for the game. But... Really, you know, we tend to be sort of quite focused on our own community. So I was very focused on the design community and the, the Kickstarter sort of marketing community and things. But they're not necessarily the the target audience for the game because, you know, other designers are busy with their own designs and there's there's lots of other games to support. So um, so I wasn't quite sure sort of how well that would, would pan out. Um, one of the big sort of jumps, I suppose, that the, the mailing list had was after offering the print and play so that the print and play was always available sort of throughout development for people to download and test because it's, it's it's nice to have people get eyes on it and it's beneficial for me because people play it and and give feedback um as, as you did pretty much straight after the the very very first prototype which you printed and and, and played and, and gave me some feedback so that that's always been helpful um but because the print and play is going to be offered to all backers as part of the campaign as well you know whether they pledge you know one pound or whether they they buy physical copies they'll still get a print and play so i decided one month before the campaign launched that i would take down the print and play and and stop making it publicly available so that then backers felt like they were getting some value for supporting the project 
And I think that was a big difference because when I posted, even though it had been available for months and months, when I posted, it was on the print and play gaming group saying, hey, there's there's only like a few days left um, and then I'm going to take the print and play down. Uh, I got basically my mailing list like doubled in yeah. <laughs> uh, in the space of like two days. Uh, and I think having that, like knowing that it was going to not be made available um, soon. And, you know, even if you wanted to back the project, OK, you, you've missed out by not, you know, you've, you've lost a pound, basically, if you miss out on that mailing list and sort of sign up and, and join later. But still, I think that made a big difference for people thinking, oh, I better sign up now and, and check it out. And yeah, getting it into people's hands and having people play it is uh, just the best thing, I think. Yeah, that's so funny that you mentioned that. It's like uh, FOMO works. You know? <laughs> because... I know it really does. And like, and even though, even though, I, I mean, it happens to me, like I'm on Kickstarter and I'm like, you know, there's one day left. I'm like, oh, am I interested in this? Probably, I probably wouldn't have been interested if it wasn't for the fact there's one day left. I'm like, oh, I'll get it. <laughs> I'll back that project. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Well, I don't know. It's 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 weird because after, after that, when you think about it, it's um, usually if it's a good game, you can get it later. And it, and a lot of times you, you even forget about things like that. But it is it is like a marketing strategy. And it's, it's one that works. And that's why it's uh, that, that, it's, yeah. that's part of why Kickstarter exists as well. Because um, kind of I, I think their whole idea is like smaller creators that aren't going to be out there otherwise. And uh, a lot of those creators are, are only going to have a single print. I think probably most um, that are on there. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of like single run games or, you know, for people that don't want to be game designers, I say don't want to be game designers. I mean like long-term, you know, you just want to produce a game and get it out there. Then yeah, it probably won't end up in retail. And cause that's a, a whole other headache of dealing with sort of distribution and retail and things. So, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of campaigns where they'll, they'll print, they'll send it out to fans, and then be like, "Cool, you know, I'm, I made my game and it's done." And yeah. so, yeah, you you don't want to miss out on those. Yeah, for sure. Well, what are your what are your plans? Um, do you want to be a full time game designer, or is that what, what, what's the most a- ambitious thing, or what, what do you what what do you see in the future of uh, Prometheus Game Labs? Yeah, that's definitely in the future. I want to make more games, um, and I. I do have plans for where Micro Dojo could go as well, uh, but I don't intend on Micro Dojo being, you know, my one game. Um, this is sort of a, a good way to start out, and by reaching lots of people, what I'm hoping to do is demonstrate, you know, not only can I make a good game, but that I can run a Kickstarter campaign, that I can deliver on time, that can deliver it with good quality, and you know, can handle sort of those problems like, uh, you know, if things get damaged or lost in the mail, you know, I can handle those well, and basically people that are happy with supporting the project and they're happy with the product they get. So the intention was to kind of gain experience, but also to kind of uh, gain fans that will hopefully then when I produce later games will say, oh yeah, I bought the last game, you know, I really liked it. Yeah, I'll, I'll get the next one. Um, I was definitely inspired by um, Shem Phillips of the the North Sea and the, the West Kingdom saga because, because I think I played one of those games once and then I played one of the other ones. And as I got more into it, I was like, you know what? I really like all of these games to the point where, okay, whatever game comes next, I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to buy that game, like even knowing nothing about it. And so building, you know, a reputation like that where, you know, if I can have fans <laughs> like I am of those games that will say, okay, you know what? I like the last one. I like the one before that. I will probably buy the next one. That would be a really great place to be. So that's kind of what I'm building towards. Yes, well, Shem's all about uh, building a brand. I actually, I just talked to the Micho a couple of days ago, who's the um, artist for, for all the, the West Kingdom games and the North Sea games. And, uh, <laughs> oh, cool. It's, it's, it's awesome that 
I, I think that's really important as well. I think uh, kind of get if if you can get to the point where um, where people can instantly know that know who you are based on your product, because I think that's what they've done really well mm. uh, with uh, Garfield Games. Yeah. And that was the reason to go the Kickstarter route rather than going via a publisher because I wanted to learn all of these other aspects of the the entire process, but also to build something sort of complete rather than, um, you know, just having like it's great. And I think you, you can make a name for yourself just having your name on a, a lot of boxes, you know, maybe with different publishers and things. I mean, there's certainly a, a few um, like, you know, think of like any sort of Rosenberg game, you know what you're getting with that. And if you're a fan of the game, you're probably going to be a fan of, uh, of all of the others. Uh, but I think it's probably much easier to make a name for, a, let's say for a brand or for a, a type of game or that kind of thing. Um, I'm, I don't know actually how many, how many sort of fans of games tend to identify with the designer versus the publisher. Um, that'd be an interesting question. I wonder what the answer to that is. Because I think I really liked um, Anachrony and Cerebria and Trakirian as well. So I ended up sort of, I'm quite a fan of like Mind Clash games. Yeah. But some of those games are by different designers. Yeah. So they, they could actually be, you know, very different games with very different styles. And yet, I guess they somehow fit the brand. So yeah, um, yeah your point about branding is probably quite important. Yeah, for sure. And also, I guess that also depends on the, the development when it, when it comes to publishing games. I know an Anachrony is like a David Turksey game, and he, he just does projects everywhere. I have no idea how how he does it, but he's yeah. got so many games coming out. Uh, that guy's doing amazing, I think. Uh, I actually have yet to play one of his games, and then hope, hopefully I'll be able to talk to him. Um, because I just keep... Ah, that'd be really cool, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's... Yeah, I've enjoyed those games. Yeah, it's, it's it's important to definitely build that brand up, and I, I think right now it's a bit easier, in my opinion, with Kickstarter. Otherwise, like I've, I've talked to designers who go only publisher route as well as well as some that uh, just do Kickstarters, and uh, the ones that only go the publishing route, it, it seems like I don't know, like Bruno Catala, for example, is one one of those designers, um, and he just does that full time, and he, he you know do, doesn't want to deal with the rest of it, you know, with um, everything that goes along with self-publishing, um, but I think just in kick, kick, Kickstarter does give you that opportunity, and it's you know you're still going to have to partner with people, but you have a bit more creative control, and uh, if you have a vision, I think it's uh, a, a vision for like how everything uh, you want everything to be. I think that's, uh, in my opinion, that's the better route in in, in specific cases. Um, if you're just yeah, and one... it was nice having to learn. Yeah. I was going to say, it's nice having to learn everything because even if I do future games that are much bigger, bigger budget, and then, you know, I do engage with a marketing partner who's going to handle the marketing, a fulfillment partner that's going to handle the, the logistics and, you know, someone that can handle sort of the finance for things like sort of taxes in different countries. At least having learned all that this time round means at least I know what they're talking about when they talk to me about certain options and and I can also communicate with them what it is that I'm looking for you know we can speak the same language so I'm, I'm really grateful even though it was quite a headache doing some of those things like you know the manufacturing or the the logistics logistics was probably the biggest headache um, at least now even if I don't do that in future at least now I've got that sort of understanding to be able to communicate with the people that are experts in that area um, and it does help things like the design process, like knowing 
how much space I had because of logistics and because of manufacturing, you know, from, from the size of the punch board, which was the logistics really, to then the size of the tokens and, and how much you could fit on one and, and, and things like that. That did then inform some of the design choices about how simple I wanted to make it and how many buildings I could include and how many objectives I would have and little sort of quality of life things like how I would split up the, the three cost versus the one cost tokens so that there was the correct number and all of these kind of things. Um, I think knowing that stuff does help the design a little bit because, um, yeah, you can factor all that in and make a nice sort of tight product, which keeps costs down, makes people happy, <laughs> makes your partners happy. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really helpful learning that, that whole process. But I totally understand designers that love designing games and, and just want to keep designing games and do the, the fun bit and not deal with the headache of, of all the other stuff. Like if I look at the, just the game from that very first, let's say the first prototype, because I probably made a prototype about a week after sort of thinking of the, the core idea of that movement mechanic through to the point where I commissioned the artwork, which is not to say that it was final, but it was like, okay, it's, it's not going to fundamentally change from here. There might be some balance tweaks. I might cut a few things or add some things. Um, that was probably about six weeks. And then preparing for the Kickstarter launch and doing all the other stuff was about eight months. Uh, I, did give myself a lot of time to do that just so I was confident that I would have that time but it definitely wasn't I wasn't sitting around doing nothing in that eight months plus then the fulfillment cycle after that will be at least two or three months sort of follow-up and then potentially even longer sort of tail of follow-up where um, you know sort of replacement copies and things that need to be sent out so yeah looking at about six weeks to design the game and like a year to <laughs> to complete the campaign so I can totally understand where if you're um, doing lots and lots of design I'm not saying every game could be designed in six weeks, but, you know, if that was the case, I could have, you know, got it to that point, started pitching it and gone, okay, now I'm going to start work on the next one and the next one. So, uh, I, yeah, I totally understand people that want to just work on the design, push it to a publisher, have them handle all of that less exciting stuff and then get on with working on the next one. Yeah. Well, right now you're like right in the middle of the Kickstarter. There's two weeks left. That, uh, like now, now, now as we're talking... Um, is there yeah. already stuff that, uh, you know, you could have done better or that like next time you think, um, you're going to do differently? Um, there's a, f uh, there's a few things for sure. Um, I'm pretty happy with the, the game and where the balance is. Uh, there's always <laughs> for such a small game on the punch board, I wanted to pack as, as much game as possible in there, but I realized there's, there's so much scope for adding even more game. Like one of the things I could have done is on the back side of the board, just had, a different layout um, and not hugely different uh, enough that it would sort of fundamentally change the game, but it would need to be tested. But that all of a sudden, if you think about the number of combinations you've got in the game, you've, you've doubled the possibilities of, of how much game you can play. Now I'm not saying everyone's going to play through every combination. I think there's something like 3 billion setup combinations as there is. Um, if you get through 3 billion games, you've probably had your money's worth out of that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there, there's, I think there's always more you could add. Um, and there's certainly more maybe I would have liked to add. Um, the solo mode is something I hadn't initially planned on. And then I, th I think I wanted to just go back to doing something creative because I was in the middle of figuring out tax law and uh, <laughs> shipping options and things like that. So I worked on the solo mode. Um, but getting that into the sort of, the final package is still something as, as we speak I'm working on at the moment, like figuring how I can get that out to backers in a, in a physical form. It's, it's available as a print and play. So it's kind of a, a bonus if you're a, a solo player, but I'd quite like to get that 
as a as a physical thing. So there's there's always more that that could be added. Um, I'm pretty happy with the game as it is. Uh, the other sort of big thing that had been on my mind a lot was adding a box for it. Um, and <laughs> boxes for for such a small game uh, are another tricky thing because the box actually ends up costing quite a lot more than the game itself, <laughs> which feels like a really odd thing. Um, but having a box means, you know, A, it looks nice on the shelf, um, B, it's a little bit nicer to carry around. Um, it fits quite nicely in the, in the plastic bag that I'm including and it'll fit sort of in a pocket or like a jacket pocket or something. But, but having a nice little box would, you know, be able to sort of throw it in a rucksack a little bit more comf- comfortably. Uh, so the, the box is something that I, I would like to do, uh, next time, let's say. It, it also makes it easier to get into retail because, just a, a punch board on its own, or even if it's sort of, you know, plastic wrapped and with a nice cover, it's still not particularly retail friendly. You know, it needs to have shelf presence or it needs to be in, in a box there. And then you've got to go through, you know, getting a barcode and, and doing all the testing so you can import it properly into countries and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's a few things I would like to have done. Uh, call them stretch goals. <laughs> uh, but because this isn't intended to be sort of the last the last you see of micro dojo then yeah there's definitely those kind of things um in future um another nice suggestion was uh like wooden meeples so screen printed ones with the characters on and uh uh one of the guys from the print and play group actually designed his own 3d printable uh meeples in no shape and sort of you know uh glammed up his copy of the game so yeah i'd like to include those at some point as well yeah that would, that would be awesome um, so <laughs> I've got, I had a question I'm doing the exact same thing that we talked about before we started uh, where I had a question in my mind and then I forgot what it was <laughs> um, <laughs> that's fine yeah. I, I, there is one more thing actually that I've yeah. just I've just thought of which um, we mentioned in terms of kind of what else I'd like to include um, I, I am aware that there's a lot crammed onto the building tiles uh, and they are a little bit tiny Um and it does mean that the, the really nice artwork for them is on the back, which you don't really get to see much unless you have a look. Uh, I would quite like to do a larger version of the game um, longer term. Uh, I, d- I don't know whether that, that will happen or not, but I think there's enough game there's enough gameplay in it to justify a larger size and, and a higher price. Basically, I, I don't think by sort of increasing the size, making it a bit more manageable and packing it into, you know, like a, a $20 box or something. I, I don't think you're then thinking, oh, I'm paying a lot of money for a micro game. Yeah. Uh, so that would be something probably bundled in with like some extra content, you know, the wooden meeples, the, the solo mode, all of those things. That's a potential longer term as well. Uh, the nice thing about kind of launching it in this way is you've, you've got an idea for the demand and then the game is, is out there. <clears throat> People will be playing it, you know, potentially discussing it, talking about it, and then... Uh, you know, whether I, I go down that route myself or maybe then approach a publisher and say, look, you know, we've, we've got all this demand. The game's been received really well. You know, maybe we, we produce and produce a larger version and get it out to a wider market. Um, that's a, a potential future for the game as well. So, yes, I'm aware that some of the t- tokens are just a little bit too tiny, a little bit fiddly. Um, I, I'm, I'm OK with that as a design decision because of the amount of gameplay that's packed into that little space. Uh, but I'm aware also that it's it's um it, it could be larger and it, it certainly wouldn't impact sort of the, the value of the game to have a larger more expensive version that's a bit easier to handle yeah for sure although i think i think that's part of your kind of your angle or part part even part of your pitch uh, just having that very small package kind of like um 
Bunshai games where they have all of their games are 18 cards and all of them come with like these little wallets. I don't know if you've seen them. Yeah, yeah, I definitely looked at, at Button Shy Games and, and what they've done and, and tried designing an 18 card game myself and it's hard. <laughs> like yeah. It's uh, it's a real challenge getting a good game into a into a small package. So yeah, really impressed with uh, with, with Button Shy Games. Um, but but you're right. No, keeping the the small size and the and the low price was definitely like a core core part of the campaign. Um, I think I've realised as as it's gone on and and as as the campaign's gone on and as I've sort of worked on things, what I've really focused on is keeping the shipping costs down and keeping the the price down, but then wanting to give people more choice about if they do want more. So, for example, there's a there's a premium shipping option which um, it's only a couple of pounds more, but it it just upgrades the delivery service to be quicker. It doesn't doesn't change anything else. It's just a speed thing. So. If you're in, uh, you know, let's say New Zealand or Australia, for example, the shipping estimate is up to 12 weeks. Now, that, that's a long time. It might not take that long, but it's just, a, you know, it could be up to that. The the premium option makes it uh, six to seven days or something is the estimate. So it really speeds it up. So I wanted to give people the choice of saying, look, you know, I've I've crammed as much game as possible into a cheap price and a, a cheap package. If you If you want to have faster shipping, you can add that on. Um, I, I don't know if it'll get there in the campaign, but you know, I considered it would be the same with a box, or maybe the same with those sort of printable solo cards. To say, look, you know, I've 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 got as much as possible into this package. But if you do want extra, it's available. If you don't, and you just want, you know, the cheap option, then that's also totally fine. So giving people kind of a lot of choice and control over sort of what they get as a package, rather than just, uh, you know, saying, well, actually, you know, I, I could add all this stuff, and then it's as you say, it's, it's no longer a sort of a, a cheap product with cheap shipping. It's just a, a regular game yeah. <laughs> at that point. Yeah. I'm, I'm also thinking about something that I, I, I think a lot of designers, including myself, have a problem with. And I think you may have uh, done really well. So I want to ask you, it's how do you know when to, uh, in that design process, how do you, how do you, how did you, how do you decide when the game is finished because like you said and like, like i i know it's easy sometimes to be like okay now i can add this and then you add that and then you realize okay now maybe i can do something else with it and uh the, the everything sort of avalanches and i think you were able to <laughs> cut it at you know um at a point or it, it looks like it uh where it's you know um how, how did you decide i guess my question is how did you decide when that's it that's uh, what the game is going to be and uh, it's ready for Kickstarter yeah so having <laughs> having the space helped because I knew how much I could fit on the punch board so I was like well it's not going to be any more than that and and that was quite nice because I think I set out originally to have like 16 buildings and then when I cut it down to 12 I was like okay these these are the 12 best ones mm. um, out of all the ones I've thought of um, and then the, the other thing that really helped was actually having the Kickstarter date in mind uh, I I think I formally announced the date around November time, planning to launch in May. And it wasn't necessarily because people were hanging on, wait, you know, desperately waiting to know when the launch was going to be. It was just, it gave me a deadline. And I was like, you know what, the, the game's pretty much there. I've got a lot of other stuff to learn, but I can figure it out by May. Um, and that by having that deadline, I, I was like, okay, I know it needs to be done by then. I know if I want the manufacturing to be done, sort of ready to go prior to launch then that you know needs to be done and sort of laid out nicely on the with the die lines and everything before that i know we need to have done prototypes and sent it to reviewers before that so you can kind of work backwards and say okay that means i need to have everything kind of finalized by like january february so having that date 
um, definitely helped because there's always more tweaking you can do and, and more playtesting and, and adding more cool stuff. Um, I think also not planning for this to be the end, but thinking, okay, you know what? There's a lot more stuff that this game could offer. You can sort of start to push some of that into you know, a potential future expansion and things like that. Which So uh, having that in mind that you might have an expansion means you don't feel like, oh, you know, I've designed all this cool stuff and I'm not going to get to include half of it because you can just put sort of the, the complex stuff there or the sort of, um, you know, some of the things that don't quite fit with the core sort of simplicity of the base game. And that's how the ad- advanced mode came about as well. Um, originally, the four meeples, they were different because there were buildings associated with each of them. And if you bought that building, you got to unlock that sort of character's movement ability just, just for you. Uh, the trouble with that was if those buildings didn't come out or if only like one of them came out, it felt like the meeples didn't really have that much character. Um, so including that as the advanced game mode meant even though I didn't have space on the punch board to include those four separate buildings that had the meeple movement abilities, they can just take up one panel in the rule book to say, here's the advanced game mode. Here are the abilities that you can use. Uh, so in, in a way, I've increased the size of the punch board by, by four tokens by just including them in the rule book as kind of abilities available for the advanced game. Uh, so that's, that's another thing is if you feel like there's more content that you can add, some of the more complex or some of the stuff that doesn't necessarily quite fit with a nice sort of core base game can, can be a nice advanced game mode. Um, and that way, if someone's really, you know, played the game to death and they want a new experience, they can try something that's a little bit different. Um, and then most people will just probably play the base game and, you know, still enjoy it. And then it's nice and tight and it's a, it's a good solid base game without sort of adding all the, all the extra sort of weird and complex stuff that you've designed. Yeah, you don't want too much weird and complex stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think, I think you, you made two really good points. One is um, about trimming to, like, like what you said, trimming from 16 to 12, um, and just thinking about what, what are the best things in the game, um, and kind of t- taking it down to, you know, basically to, to its core. And I think the second thing, which is actually mixed into that, is... Uh, having those restrictions. You know, in your case, it was restrictions of components, but I, I find that, and a lot of people talk about how with restrictions, you kind of get creative and you tend to um, be more more productive or make, you know, it, it, it's so much easier. Even uh, when it comes to talking, as we spoke earlier, like if you're giving given a, some, something very particular to talk about, it's so much easier than uh, it is if you're like, all right, well, go ahead talk you know <laughs> about anything but uh, yeah 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 I think, yeah I think that's just how um we we tend to work better and i think it's important for designers you know set set, set those date deadlines and um set those restrictions learn, learn what you can actually do um when it comes to like printing what's your yeah what's, what's your budgets and all, all of that stuff i think factors in and can potentially make make up for a better product yeah, and I think it's good having that in mind. Yeah, that end result when you start was is quite good because I probably could have included 16 buildings if I was doing two punch boards, say, or if I didn't have that restriction. But then those four buildings, just if you think about it sort of from a theory perspective, the 12 buildings I have are the 12 that I think are the best ones. So if I included 16, then what I've done is I've given people the four worst buildings that i designed yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe not the worst ones that i designed but you know that the, the the more that get added are in theory the least good 
parts of the ones you've included because if they were the best ones they'd be in the the base 12 <laughs> so it's just it's just one way to think about like the more you add i'm not saying the more you add the worse the game gets but yes if, if you could order like every component from like the best the best one to the worst one then by cutting you're kind of cutting the worst ones you're not cutting the best ones so in in theory it uh, you're, you're only including the best parts uh, whereas if you have sort of unlimited space not necessarily unlimited but if, if you've not given yourself a limitation uh, then you can just keep adding adding more and more and you know one of one of those things has to be the worst part of the game yeah for sure no i think i think it's so important to also like look for that and listen for that like me i i, I heard this and this wasn't actually something that has to do with had to do to do with game design, but um, it was about just giving feedback. And um, I heard the questions, which I, I'm starting to incorporate um, in playtesting, which is what what's the like the ten percent, like the best ten percent of this game, and what's the worst ten percent of this game? And if you had to just, if there's something right now that you need to leave, and what would it be? And um, something that needs to be cut, or that you would cut. Um, and in the final version, what's that going to be? And I, I find that asking those, like, first of all, if you, to your, asking yourself that and asking playtesters that and being mindful of um, what, what are those things that you kind of, when you do them, you're not completely, you're, you're not as happy. Like, I feel with Micro Dojo, like, there's some buildings that I always want to build more than others. Uh, of course, depending on the game mm. state. Um, but I think kind of that question usually leads to game development. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really nice. Um, I hadn't heard that before, but I like that kind of. What's the the best ten percent, and what's the or what's the worst? Because yeah, over playtesting, I suppose if you keep getting that feedback on the same, then yeah, you can start to cut that ten percent, or may maybe even expand that uh, that that top ten percent. You know, if, if players really enjoy doing that one thing, then how can you do more of that thing in the game, and and vice versa? So yeah, that's a nice way of looking at it and focusing focusing questions on kind of the the best bits and the worst bits, rather than the uh, Rather than the sort of general, yeah, I like this. This was okay. This didn't really work for me. Yeah, I like I like that ten percent thing. I'm going to think about that when I'm designing something. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping I'll get a chance to do some more um, design work actually, because because everything's been so focused on the campaign. Um, sort of go, to go back to your earlier question of how did you know when the game was done? It it was also just it got to the point where I probably could have spent more time. You can always spend more time on the game, but because there were other things that needed doing, uh, like you know sorting out the logistics and, and the manufacturing and, and preparing for the campaign and all of that stuff it it meant that i didn't have as much time to focus on the design so it was maybe not so much that i was like okay you know this is done there's nothing more i can do to it it was that i'm like okay you know what it's it's done and i'm happy enough with it that it's not a priority compared to the other things that need doing so i just i wouldn't say i never found the time to sit down and do some design but i didn't I didn't really feel any sort of value. Like I didn't feel this burning need to say, oh, you know what, I need to sit down and give this one more test or I need to just, you know, I didn't have a goal in mind for anything that needed testing. I wasn't like, okay, let's see how this alternate setup works or let's see how, you know, whether this building is actually balanced. I was like, you know what, there's, there's nothing really that's jumped out at me to say, okay, this needs more testing and needs needs some work. So maybe the answer isn't that, Maybe the answer isn't that you'll look at your game and think, you know what, it's done, it's perfect, it's done enough. Maybe the answer is just <laughs> when other stuff that needs doing is more important. Then, yeah. Because if, if you felt like that the game was the thing that really needed a lot of work, that would be top of your priority list. So if, if you don't feel that looking at the game more is something that's more important than the other stuff, then that's probably a good indicator that it's it's at a point that you're pretty happy with it. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. it's, it's, at some point, because I, I know a lot of people can um, you know, be perfectionists about it and kind of want to get the best the very best game out there 
and uh, I think that's great. You know, that's uh, that that's a really good aim to have. But I find that a lot of times um, when I've worked with with certain designers, you can get into a sort of that that can actually be like a negative uh, thing that you're doing or or an unproductive thing that you're doing because um, you know if you just I I think at some point you need to like kind of let let the game go, say that it's finished. And even if, yeah. this, if this was your best um, right now, um, in one year, your next game is probably going to be better, you know. And I think it's gonna, you're going to be worse off if you spend that one year working on this thing uh, rather than just letting it go and starting from the base up again and uh, with what you've kind of learned from this one and going through the entire process. With something yeah, that's, that's totally true. Um, and yes, I, I haven't had as much design time as I would like because I've been so focused on the campaign. I'm um, <laughs> because I'm going back to the UK to to ship everything out um, and, and to spend a little bit of time with family who I've not seen for a long time because of you know travel restrictions. Um, I'd plan to head back to the UK sort of right after the campaign closes and then start shipping stuff out. Now it's possible because the UAE is still on the red list for the UK as we speak. Uh, there will be a long quarantine period going there. So I might end up going by somewhere else. So I'm actually sort of planning a a 10-day uh, kind of a holiday <laughs> sort of before I get to the UK to do the fulfillment. Well, I'm, I'm planning to just sort of sit down and do some do some design work and get back into that and have a bit of sort of creative time again rather than just sort of getting stuff done for the campaign. Um, but you reminded me when you were talking about designing games, yeah, saying, you know, your <laughs> your game a year from now is probably going to be a lot better than the, the best one you've produced right now. I can't remember where I heard the story, but it was this, it might it might not even be a true story, but it was this thing about the, the pottery class, I think, where the, the professor kind of like split people into groups and said, okay, you guys are going to only produce one pot and you're going to be graded on the quality. And then another group is going to be graded on the quantity they produce. So it doesn't really matter how good they are. They're just, you know, you just need to churn these things out. And then what they found after however long it was that the the group that had focused on doing one thing really, really well and getting high quality, if you looked at like, say, the hundred pots that the other group had made that were just, you know, just throw them together, make a hundred of them, they actually found the quality of those ones was also higher because they produced so many of them, even though probably a lot of them were lower quality. Some of them were really fantastic quality because they just had that practice in doing it over and over and over. Um, and it's a really good sort of, I don't know, parable, I guess, to say, you know what, just keep making stuff and, and get better at making stuff rather than focusing on making your one thing really, really perfect. Yeah, for sure. And Yeah, I like that story. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good story. I find it I find it true with, like, finding a good method of practice, I think, is important. And with, like, uh, as I told you, like, coming from a musical background, to me, um, practicing was a, a big part of it, you know. It's uh, a, a, yeah, a large sure. chunk of your, your day... Um, with your instrument and kind of practicing and there's I, I find that optimizing your practice is probably one of the like most important things in music and I think in design though it's a little bit more like elusive what what does design practice actually mean um, and you know because um, is it all only when you sit down with with the game and actually like make changes to it or try things out um, I think like because I've t now that I've talked to more designers, I think that one of the things that um, you can do as like concrete practice is first of all, you know, play other games, try to make changes to other games, mm -hmm. and then one thing that I keep hearing and that I realize that I do myself, and I'm going to ask you if you do it, is um, almost <laughs> almost always a large part of the that design time is actually spent in your head, kind of um, 
thinking about how, how those changes or, or, or make, make, making changes, um, thinking about how, how, how they're going to happen. And I don't know, for, for me, it's usually before bed. And I've, I've said this a couple of times on the podcast, but usually like before, uh, like before going to bed, I kind of play through the game in my head. Um, and I find that that's usually where I get, okay, well, tomorrow this is what I'm going to do. And then this is what I'm going to do. Is that something that you do? Mm. Um, sometimes it, cause it definitely helps to have like an intention. And sometimes I actually take notes, um, not just when I have game ideas, but when I think of something that needs doing and, uh, yeah, annoyingly, I always seem to have my best ideas at the most inopportune times. <laughs> like, uh, I have, I have quite a lot of ideas if I'm swimming, I think because it's, there's maybe not too many other sounds when you're sort of under the water and that's a good time to sort of think. And, um, but yeah, usually like either driving, swimming or just about to fall asleep, like basically the times that you're not actually sitting down to do some design work. Yeah. Um, or, or quite often sort of listening to a podcast. Um, so I usually like make a quick note or like on a checklist. I use Google Keep of just, okay, this is something I want to do. You know, at the moment, some of that is, okay, this is an update I would like to give people on the campaign. This is something I could write about or share. Um, sometimes it's just a game idea that you think, okay, I want to explore that. So, yeah, I think you're right. A lot of that creative time, it sort of comes at you, or it comes at me anyway, sort of unannounced. You know, it just sort of pops into my head, and I think, oh, I need to then sit down and explore that. Um, there's been a few times, particularly last year, because things were sort of fairly quiet, I got into a bit of routine of saying, you know what, there's, there's not much going on. I'm going to go to a cafe this morning, and I'm going to spend a couple of hours on design. And after doing that for a few weeks, I found it really, really hard because I'd be sitting there thinking, okay, come on, come on, design, like, come at me. I've got two hours, like, let's do this. And, and nothing really, really comes. So what I try and do sometimes is sort of let those creative ideas and things kind of happen when they happen. And if I'm really not feeling it, but I, or, you know, nothing's really coming, but I do have the time, I kind of do, um, I don't know what to call it, but, you know, there's like that creative time where you're sort of having all these ideas and you're fleshing something out. And then there's the other time where you're just doing work, like just getting on with stuff. And sometimes that's things like, you know, tidying a layout or fixing some of the artwork or, um, you know, drafting an email or some of those things where I think, okay, you know, if, if, if no kind of cool ideas are coming, at least I can still do something because when, when you're full of ideas and you're thinking about this next cool game that you could make, you don't really want to be sitting down and doing admin and, uh, you know, drafting, drafting an email or updating the website and things like that. So. I think using that time to do something that's productive, even if it's not creative work, I think then then leaves you that time later to do the creative work. So that's something I try and do. Uh, I'm still definitely learning about sort of, uh, you know, I've had a employed job for a long time and, you know, you kind of work nine to five and if, if you don't really feel it one day, you know, you, you still get paid and, you know, you can always try again the next day. Whereas doing something yourself and doing creative work is a very different kind of lifestyle if you're used to a sort of a more structured uh, job and sort of projects and things. And, uh, yeah, you know, if, if I don't do anything on the game, nothing gets done. So, you know, I'm, I'm very aware that whatever it is I'm doing directly contributes to how good the end result is. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting kind of adjusting to that kind of approach as well. I think anyone in a sort of creative profession probably identifies with that and has found, found methods that work for them. Yeah. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, this brings me to, uh, question that um, I, I, I started really liking uh, to ask people because I think it's, it's super important and something that I struggle with as well. Uh, but the question is kind of, again, I heard it from so, so, somewhere else, um, 
but the question is, um, do you you do, do you tend to have a schedule for um, these like creative times, or like you said, if they're not creative times, they're something else. Or um, do you just go by uh, inspiration? It's kind of the question is schedule versus uh, inspiration. Mm. Um, I know what the correct answer is, which is it's good to have a schedule and structured time and to to get into the habit of doing it. Um, at the moment, I, I tend to work pretty chaotically, I think, and I tend to work in like bursts of. Uh, I don't think I have a great attention span and I'll, I'll probably be doing like four or five things at once. And as, and as soon as I hit a stopping point, I'll bounce to something else and do something else. So I'm in a way, I'm pretty unstructured with how I spend my time. But then I also tend to sort of write lists and things that need doing as I think of them, even if I can't do them right now. So I, I sort of think of the way I work as a bit like doing a jigsaw puzzle. Like I'll pick up a piece and try and put it somewhere and it doesn't fit. I'll just chuck it aside and pick up another piece and, and try that instead. Uh, so that's kind of my approach. Um, as I sort of move to potentially doing something like this full time, um, I'm aware that I will, will want to sort of structure my time um, and things. Uh, I don't find I get too distracted by, you know, playing video games and, and hanging out and things. I, I am quite driven to sort of keep working on the game and I do give myself those breaks and I don't feel too guilty about maybe not getting stuff done much one day and then coming at it hard again the next day um but no having that structure i think even though i don't do it at the moment is something i do think is going to be important to to keep things moving and it's it's very easy to to fall out of a habit of doing something um you know i think of things like you know going to the gym and stuff it's it doesn't take long to fall out of that habit and it's really hard to get back into it again so keeping a structure i think is is going to be much more important as i spend more and more time on game design for sure yeah for sure I completely agree with you about the falling out of a habit. Or it's um, it's when when you have a habit that's not as strongly built up. I think. Um, also, an, an, another thing, it's uh, I know you you probably don't deal with it that much, but um, when you have other people, kind of to, when when you can push push each other with with other people. I know, like when just immediately when you said going to the gym, I realized that because I, I, I usually go with uh, a friend of mine. And it's, you know, we always, you know, when, when you get a message, like, are we going to the gym? Uh, it's much easier to go then, or, you know, it's, it's, it's having that reminder from the outside world uh, makes it a lot easier. But yeah, do you actually have like, I, and if, if you don't go, you're letting that other person down. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, if you don't feel it, if you're just going on your own, you're like, oh, I'm not feeling it. Like no one's going to hold you accountable. No one's, no one's going to know you didn't go to the gym today. Whereas if you've got someone relying on you. Then you're like, oh, okay, I'll you know make the effort because they're relying on me. We're going together, so it's a little bit like um, I think like almost like flipping a coin. You know, if, if there's a fifty-fifty chance that you might not do that thing you need to do, well, if you now need to flip two coins and they both need to come up heads, then you know suddenly you've 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 reduced your chance of not doing it by by quite a lot. So yeah, having a partner is something. Uh, I know I tend to get I get involved with everything, and I don't think I'm that great at delegation because I get involved in everything, but having a having a partner to work with and to keep each other kind of pushing forward and to, to bounce ideas off, I think is, is really valuable. I think anyone that, that works with a partner in game design and things is, uh, I'll say very lucky, but also it's, uh, it's just going to lead to, to better games and, and better results. Yeah, I think so as well. How, how is it kind of with you? Um, I know you've, you've built this uh, community around it, meaning that, you know, you, you've collaborated with a lot of people, but, uh, the main, the main, aspects of the game uh you're you're doing all of the 
um, or most of the legwork, I guess. How how is that process for you, um, kind of doing it on your own? Yeah, I found it okay because I like I've really enjoyed learning about everything and even the frustrating moments like. Uh, you know, I've probably spent a month just on like figuring out the VAT situation and how I was going to ship it and how to do registration in different countries and all of this kind of stuff. So that can be frustrating. Um, but I, I think because I had the deadline and things, I was still motivated to do it, even though it was, it was hard. Um, I will say that doing a game, you know, in air quotes on your own is, firstly, I'd say it's not really possible. <laughs> um, if you look at the list of, people that I've thanked in the, there's a section in the Kickstarter of just people I wanted to give a special shout out to. There's probably about 30 or 40 people in that list of either people that contributed like a a really important idea to the game, people that helped out, um, you know, friends of mine that helped out with things like sort of the graphic design or even just sort of pushing, you know, getting the word out there. There's people that have helped volunteer do rule book translations. There's people that have done proofreading. Um, there's people that have advised on sort of the cultural aspects and some changes that can be made there to, um, to improve it. Uh, there's, you know, the artists, there's, um, the, the printers, there's, I didn't even name all of the playtesters. Like there's probably been about 40 or 50 playtesters or more just that have just played the game either once or several times and, and given their feedback. So, you know, easily for a game, for a very small game that's been made, you know, entirely on my own, there's probably about 80 to a hundred people at least that have been involved and contributed in, in some way. So yeah, it's it's insane, kind of how many people kind of come together to make a make a project, even for something small, and you know it doesn't have a big team behind it. Maybe even more people than if there was a big team, because maybe if you have all that stuff in house as a you know team of let's say five people that can handle all those roles, maybe you don't look outside so much for maybe. support. So yeah, 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 and you yeah a lot of people have gone in to make this. No, it's 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 always a collaboration, even the, the smaller projects you. Unless you're Ryan Lockett. <laughs> I made that joke. I'm <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, yeah, always. Um, it's, um, you, you're never actually alone. Or, or it, the games that I've seen kind of doing playtesting that were, you, you, you can see that it's a designer by themselves. They usually, you can see their weak points as well. So, um, so I think, I think it's a really Yeah, having someone feedback. to come up. Yeah, and someone, if you do have a partner, someone to come out with a different perspective, I think um, probably what I, I should do in looking for a partner for game design is not look for someone that likes the same kind of games I do and gets the same kind of things. It's probably better to come you know, with someone that has a really different idea for the types of games that they like to play and things to, to have that different perspective. So we'll see. This this feels a little bit like a uh, a Lonely Hearts advert now. I'm like, you know, <laughs> people looking for a partner, apply within. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So uh, to kind of finish up, uh, I know you've also uh, said that you're kind of uh, busy. Uh, what would be your advice to somebody who wants to start off in game design um, or, you know, has has an idea for a game um, but really hasn't, hasn't done that research that you've done um, in the past year or so? Um, yeah. Um, the, I've actually spoken to a lot of people, you know, when I mentioned I'm designing a game, loads of people have an idea for a game you know especially yeah. gamers everyone's got an idea for the, for the game and i really pushed them i'm like okay so, so make it you know try it out and uh you know people tell me about they like to, often people when they tell me about their game they either tell me a lot about the theme or they tell me a lot about 
the experience that the players are going to have because because you can see it in your head you're like oh you know what this is going to be you know super tight and there's going to be this bluffing element and people are not going to know who's on their team and it's going to be you know really exciting when you reveal at the end who who the traitor was and like it's, it's really exciting to hear that uh, but, but I guarantee as, as soon as you make it probably within your first 10 minutes of playing actually playing that game you're going to go oh this doesn't quite work the way I wanted it and that's a good thing because that's you know, now you've got your first problem to fix. And then once you fix that, you've, you've made your game better already. Uh, but yeah, I think a, a lot of time people have this idea and I say, okay, so, so go and make it. And I don't know, maybe, maybe people think it needs to be sort of finished before they can test it. Or may, maybe, um, maybe they think, uh, oh, you know what? I need to get everything perfect in my head before I make it. I would definitely say, like, just, uh, just make it. I mean, <laughs> when you played that first prototype, that was a week of it in my head going, oh, well, what if, what if people just keep moving to the same space or, or what if the game's solvable? Then it's no fun. Like, how do I stop that? And how do I stop people moving to the same space? How do I make sure it's balanced? And then after a week, I was like, okay, I'm not going to fix all these problems in my head. I sat down for about 10 hours straight and just made a prototype, like that playable thing. Um, and then I got some feedback and, you know, you gave me some of your thoughts and then other people played it and gave me their thoughts and it, it started developing from there. So yeah, just, just making it, accepting that it's probably not going to work the first time. Uh, but then seeing that as the first, probably biggest step towards getting the game done, because until you do that, it's never going to be a game. So I'd say just just get into it and start trying. Like, there's no exam at the end. You know, no one's no one's judging you if it doesn't work. Um, just just make it and start start that first step. Yeah, sure. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk. To you. No, thanks. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah.